0: chapter, well, really it'll be, I'm going to read a little bit from 2 Samuel chapter 11, and all I have tonight is a half a sheet of notes, and it's the exact same thing that you have in your bulletin, and we're going to do a little bit differently tonight. I didn't forget to pray, we'll do that in just a second. Uh, but I thought we would just do uh, a bit of a Bible study together, and just uh, go through it rather than me try to teach it, and then you uh, and I go through questions together, Instead, we were just going to go through these questions. And the, the the main goal of our study tonight is to see if we can apply what Jesus warns about in Matthew 7 to other stories. And I debated between this story and the Pharisee story in Luke 18, and I just stuck with this one. So we're going to uh, just spend a, a few minutes looking at, at uh, David and Nathan uh, concerning David and Bathsheba. So I will... Refresh your memory if you need it in uh, the beginning of the uh, Matthew seven, and then we will just go through these. and And hopefully you can you're you're in a talkative mood tonight, so that um, otherwise we'll be done in five minutes from now. So feel free to as, answer the questions, unless you really want to be done in five minutes from now. But I think uh, if you if you'll the more you'll get involved, in the more uh, I think we'll get out of it. But let's let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for chance to be together tonight thank you for this gorgeous day and the weather thank you that uh, we were able to worship and, and uh, come together in your in your name and we pray that you will just guide us once again as we gather tonight that we would uh, learn that you would uh, point out to us truths things that we need to know and and uh, how this uh, parallels in, in our own lives so we ask that you would just guide our hearts and, and, and ultimately may it g- glorify you, honor you in, in all that we do in these next few moments together. And We pray in Jesus name. Amen. All right. So if you're in Second uh, Samuel, just stay there unless you want to go back to Matthew seven. And let me just read these uh, warning verses and recap those. I think we were all here and uh, you probably can remember them better than I can. Matthew seven, verse one says, judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, the beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. So there were three warnings that I... I presented to you this morning, the first warning was the danger of self, uh, uh, self-condemnation or the reciprocity there of judging in verses 1 and 2. Then in verses 3 and 4, uh, it was... Uh, I'm sorry, verse 3, it was the danger of uh, self... What did I say? Self-denial? I can't remember what I said now. But being blinded to your own sin, ignoring your own sin. Deception, self-deception. And then the last one there, uh, the... the uh, the danger of hypocrisy there, self-righteousness, becoming self-righteous. So if you will look at, I haven't written down, if I had just looked at my notes, I would have, you would have seen that. I want to read through the story of David and Bathsheba uh, from chapter 11. And then when we get to chapter 12, then I want you to uh, begin looking with me at these questions. All these, uh, with the seven questions that we have there and see if you can identify them and then we'll go back and we'll say where where do we see these things there and uh, they're all there so you can find if 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 uh they are there to be found if you'll pay attention to how they're found but let's read a little bit and just get familiar with the story that uh, I think that we're all it's pretty common to us but let's let's uh, get our minds wrapped around the story here verse 1 of chapter 11 begins it came to pass after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. And it came to pass in an evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her, and she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. And the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am a child. David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah was come unto him, David demanded of him how Joab did, and how the people did, and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, Go down to thy house and wash thy feet. And Uriah departed out of the king's house. And there followed him a mess of meat from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and went not down to his house. When they had told David, saying, Uriah went not down into his house, David said unto Uriah, Camest thou not from thy journey? Why then didst thou not go down unto thine house? And Uriah said unto David, The ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents. And my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open field. Shall I then go into my house? To eat and drink, and to lie with my wife, as thou livest, and as thy soul liveth, I will not do this thing. David said unto Uriah, "Tarry here today also, and so tomorrow I will let thee depart." So Uriah abode in Jerusalem that day and the morrow. And when David had called him, he did eat and drink before him, and he made him drunk. And at even he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his lord, but he went not down to his house. And it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter, saying, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle, and retire ye from him that he may be smitten and die. It came to pass, when Joab observed the city, that he assigned Uriah unto a place where he knew that valiant men were. The men of the city went out and fought with Joab, and there fell some of the people of the servants of David, and Uriah the Hittite died also. Then Joab sent and told David all things concerning the war, and charged the messengers, saying, when well, thou hast made an end of telling the matters of the war unto the king, and if so be that the king's wrath arise, and he say unto thee, Wherefore approached ye so nigh unto the city when ye did fight? Knew ye not that they would shoot from the wall? Who smote Abimelech the son of Jerubasheth? Did not a woman cast a piece of millstone upon him from the wall, that he died in beds? Why went ye nigh the wall? Then say thou, Thy servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So the messenger went and came and showed David all that Joab had sent him for. And the messenger said unto David, Surely the men prevailed against us, and came out unto us into the field, and we were upon them even unto the entering of the gate. And the shooters shot from off the wall upon thy servants, and some of the king's servants be dead, and thy servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Then David said unto the messenger, Thus shalt thou say unto Joab, Let not this thing displease thee, for the sword devoureth one as well as another. Make thy battle more strong against the city, and overthrow it, and encourage thou him. And when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. When the morning was past, David sent and fetched her to his house, and she became his wife to bear him a son. The thing that David had done displeased the Lord. So here's our backdrop to what we're going to read into the first 12 verses, of or 13 verses, I guess it would be, of chapter 12. David doesn't go to war as it would have been time for the kings to go to war david stays at home he steps out onto his balcony and he sees bathsheba bathing apparently that's a pretty normal thing uh in that time of in that time of the of of history for ladies to do that and he sees her he continues to look he inquires about her he brings her to him he sleeps with her he uh, sends her away tries to wash his hands clean if you will of that forget about his a uh, moment of of uh, weakness, and then she sends word back. I'm pregnant. This is uh, this is going to have complications now. And so he tries to fix all of this rather than confronting his sin. There he tries to fix this, and he brings Joab in, and maybe he'll he'll uh, take advantage of being at home and and uh, seeing his wife again right before I send him back to battle. And Joab, being an honorable man, won't do it. And then Jo, I'm sorry, uh, Uriah. Then Uriah won't uh, uh, he he won't do it the second night. He won't go back to his wife the second night. So uh, David sends a letter back and Uriah doesn't read the letter. Uriah doesn't know what's going on. And Joab gets the news, you need to get into the hot part of the battle and, and make sure you retreat from Uriah and kill him. I wonder if Joab has any idea why his king is telling him to kill one of his most valiant soldiers. But he does. Sends the word back and David doesn't seem to be too upset about it. He he is responsible for killing a man. All is okay, and so in David's mind, it is okay now to bring Bathsheba into his home and be his wife now. And therefore, any children that come, it's just appropriate. Uh, it's just a, Everyone's going to follow that it belongs to David, and what a great guy David is for taking in this widow to be his own. So then we get into chapter 12. So let's look at these questions. I want you to maybe take a note here and there, and as we'll read through the whole thing, if you will take a look at these questions, and as you see them, just mark a note. Uh, number one is, how did Nathan judge David? Now, Nathan's our prophet, and David is our king, obviously, and then there's, and then there's God. So these are the three people in our story. First, how did Nathan judge David? How did David judge the man who stole his neighbor's sheep? How did God judge David? How was David blind to his own sin? How did David become self-righteous? How did David respond to Nathan in God's judgment? And finally, how did God respond to that response? How did God respond to David? So let's begin reading. And we'll read through the whole thing. And then this is where I'm hoping that you're paying attention. And we'll see where these things are. So make a note as we go through. And and, uh, maybe share your comments as you see these things. So beginning in verse 1. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David. And he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing, save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children, and it did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup, and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take his, of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. David's anger was greatly kindled at the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. And I gave thee thy master's house, and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel, and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and hast taken his wife to be thy wife, and has slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take wives before thine eyes, and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son. But thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all, and before the son. David said unto Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. We'll stop there with that one there. One thing, if, you, if you'll notice, is before we jump into the questions, the sin of the adultery is implied but never actually stated here by God. What are the two things that God is judging him for? For killing Uriah and for taking her to be his wife. But this whole thing started because of the adultery and the cover up and the wife taking. In our I guess in, in in if 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 you were a third party and you had no idea what was going on, and you think, well, she's her husband's dead now. I guess she could be taken to him as wife. But because of the circumstances behind that, God knows these things, God sees this, and God takes offense to that these things. So let's let's go through these questions. And just kind of share what you, what you notice as we go through this. So, firstly, how did Nathan judge David? Where do you see it, or, or what do you see from, how did Nathan judge David? Nathan the prophet judges David the king. He, he judged him because God sent him. You see that at the very beginning there, the Lord sent Nathan. It wasn't Nathan's idea. What else do we see? How did, how did he judge David? Okay. So he, he, get, he put a story before the king so that David would be, wouldn't be so defensive, if you will. That David could kind of put himself up as the judge. Someone asked me this morning what I, what I felt about, in light of what we talked about, uh, someone asks you about a particular thing that you think is wrong, and then you say, well, that's a sin. And they said, well, now you're, you can't use that. Judging, you can't do that. Um, and they asked me, they said, well, isn't that just simply saying what God said? You know, if I say that lying is sin, you say, well, don't judge me. Well, God said, I'm not saying that lying is I'm just telling you what God said. That's what Nathan's doing. here. Nathan isn't coming up, but Nathan doesn't know, outside from God telling him these things. So Nathan's not coming and saying, hey, you're wrong. Nathan's not the one with the beam in his eye. There's God telling David, God said this. So in a way, Nathan is judging, but also he's just the mouthpiece. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. A lot of times that's what preaching feels like. Like I'm the one that you're, if David's going to get mad and retaliate, he's going to get mad at Nathan. (laughs) If someone's going to get punched in the nose, it's going to be Nathan right here because David might not like what's going to happen, but it's not Nathan judging. It's just Nathan saying, but the fact that he's actually saying it feels judgmental. Yes, ma'am. That's very true. He didn't—he didn't judge in him, but let David kind of back him into back himself, paint himself into a corner. Yeah, that's a very good observation. I like that. Any other things on this question before we move on? We're—we're we're building. So he was wise. I wonder if God told him to tell the story, or if that was him uh, being clever himself. Nathan was a preacher he would have alliterated the story but uh, there's there's no three point outline there's no poem but uh, but Nathan did Nathan maybe came up with the story himself but it's a very clever story and it was and it was said to get David to think objectively as hey you're the king remember when uh, later on when Solomon uh people brought their problems to Solomon particularly the two ladies who were fighting over the baby they brought Solomon because he was the judge he's the king he's the one who makes these decisions and so I think, and it almost sounds like David's telling a parable, or Nathan's telling a parable at the beginning here. But David takes this as this is a real life happening in my kingdom. I can't believe that some guy would do this, which is more than likely what David would have been hearing all the time. These types of things, and so David uh, is, 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 is kind of backed into the corner as God would have it here. How did David number two judge the man who stole his neighbor's sheep? Man in the story. What was David's response there? At verse number 5, David says he deserves to die. He will restore the lamb fourfold. Give him four lambs. This is David's just judgment here. Restore fourfold die. See anything else there? Very angry. That's the third thing that I see. And he takes this personally. David is, is enraged. He says his, his his anger was greatly kindled against this man. This man's a fake man. He's a fictitious man. But he is so angry at this guy. He's not. It's it's as if, the, if you stand before the judge, and the judge takes it personally that you broke the speed limit. He's not there just to say you broke the law. Here's your fine. It's I can't believe you did this. My kids play in the street, and if you were you know just going off, and that's what David's doing. And David's getting mad. David's getting heated. And I wonder if at this point Nathan's like, you back out, just that before i say this next line because he's really not going to like this line that i'm about to say but i think nathan was uh just a just a bold prophet to be able to say these things so david judged the man i see by taking it personally i see there because he said he he deserves to die because he killed some guy's lent he stole a guy's lamb he deserves to die that's important to remember because we're going to get that down to the next thing here David's think about David's mentality here he deserves to die because he stole a guy's lamb and he deserves to pay fourfold now that to me sounds a little bit more just than you steal a lamb you die but David is very incensed and he has and it says there he's mad because he had no pity man had no pity this fictitious man so we see the third question then: How did God judge David? Back up just a little bit before that and see how God actually judges David, and compare it to how David judged man. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't supposed to at that time. But he was just loving something he shouldn't have loved. Mm-hmm. Killed the woman's husband just so he could have her. Yep. But uh, what do you see? How did God judge David? Right? He reminded him of all the things that I did for you. And notice even how he, he kind of leaves it open-ended, like, and if the things that I have done aren't enough, I could have done so much more for you. I gave you both kingdoms. I protected you from Saul. I gave you wives. I gave you all of these things. That wasn't enough. You had to have more. Reminds me of Adam and Eve in the garden. I gave you every tree. You had to have that one. Couldn't be satisfied with all these things. You had to have that one that's that's the story of of sin that's the story of all of our lives we are given so many good things yet we have to have something outside of that how else do you see god judging david here mm-hmm. yeah the, many suffered mm-hmm. many people suffered because of david's sin I, i'd like maybe let me lead you a little bit to where i'm what i'm seeing here who was harsher in their judgment david was harsher in judgment what was david's judgment that guy's gonna die what did God say? You're not going to die. You deserved to die, David says. But God says, eh, I've forgiven. And all David said was he confessed his sin. I've, I've sinned. And, and Nathan says there, you won't You You did do this. You won't die. Now the child was going to die. And there's going to be a whole list of consequences. And if we're going to quantify, then maybe, maybe God was a little bit more uh, harsh. But the, how about this question? Who is more just? Here's a softball question. Who's more just, God or man, in judgment? I mean, God knew the story, and did David sin against Uriah? Or did he more sin against God? Well, the way that God writes there, Nathan explains this, that this is an offense against God. You did these things. Did anything, is David involved in this story of the man taking another man's sheep? No. He's not personally offended, and yet he's distributing so much unfair justice and we, see, and we see God, you offended me, but I'm not going to kill you. Though you think that that's the just punishment, I'm going to show mercy. So we even see mercy here in God's judgment. There's a lot of bad stuff happening, but there is mercy uh, to, be, to be had. And, you know, one thing that's not mentioned yet, but we find out later on, is that the heir to the throne is going to come from Bathsheba. And the Christ is going to come through that line. You know, so there's a lot of mercy there, and there's a lot of God working good out of the out of the bad that, that we do. Uh, look at the next one here. How was David blinded? Kind of getting into the the uh, the three points there, the three warnings there. How was David blinded to his own sin? See that at all? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Just because you got the the crown doesn't mean you're not you don't you're not accountable to anybody. Yep. Yeah. God is sovereign, not David. Yes. Anybody else? How did how did David get blind to his own sin? Have you ever been told of someone else's wrongs and know in the back of your mind you're guilty of much worse and then still like kind of cast judgment on that person? And it's almost like we're shifting the blame, shifting their eyes away from us and, oh, I can't believe that kid over there. I can't believe that man over there, that woman over there. Just don't look at me. <laughs> because I know in the back of my mind I've done something much worse. Much more wrong. And, and it, in this particular instance, David's in the middle of his sin. He's unrepentant right now. He is in, he's living with this sin. And he's pushing the blame over there. I don't care. That, that, that's not about me. What about this guy over here? He stole a sheep. He didn't kill anybody. He didn't steal any people. He stole a sheep. But David says, look at the blindness to his own sin. I've killed a man. I've, I've uh, brought in other people into my conspiracy. Namely, Joab, the servants that brought Bathsheba to him, Bathsheba herself. I mean, his sin has affected so many people, and now it's going to affect the, the consequences of his sin are going to affect so many people. But David's concerned about a sheep. I mean, look at the priorities there. It's because he's blinded to his sin. He has, he has deceived himself. Whereas just like the man in Jesus' story that can somehow manage to walk around with a log sticking out of his eye. The, 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 the beam there, the word beam there is, is the word that's used to describe rafters. And we're talking about something that can support a house. And the moat the is that little shaving if you've ever worked with wood. You, you know, something that's floating in the air that could just get stuck in your eye. And somehow I can manage to deal with the beam sticking out of my head but I'm so worried about the little thing that got stuck into your eye. And I'm not worried like, oh, let's help this guy out, but look at that guy over there. Can you believe he's got something? And I've got this stuck in my head, and, and I don't seem to care. How can that be? Well, because we, we blind ourselves. We're ignorant. And we're not ignorant like we don't know. It's ignorant as if we ignore what we know is going on in our lives because it's a lot easier to judge others than to judge ourselves. <coughs> look at the uh, the next one. How did David become self righteous? Do you see the self righteousness here of David? Uh, David in the story. huh. Yeah. Yep. And from my you know my lofty position, how dare he? Can't believe he would do such a horrible thing. But, you know, don't look at me. Yeah. He, he's. He's not taking any responsibility until it's thrown in his face. You're that guy. And, you know, to David's credit, he completely repents. You know, we look at his predecessor, Saul. That's one of the big differences between Saul and David. If we can can count the sins between Saul and David, David's actually committed more sin, grosser sin, than Saul. The big difference between Saul and David is that when David was confronted with a sin, we have verses, we have psalms like Psalm 51, repent and confession, and just complete brokenness, whereas Saul, well, the people made me do it. Well, I'm trying to find an excuse, a wiggle room, and trying to get a loophole to get out of it, and and eventually, I think that that's, that betrayed the character. God just goes to show us, God is looking for people who are honest and, and will admit their sin, not. Perfect people, because he doesn't find any of those people. Uh, how? What else do you think? How did David? How do you see David becoming David becoming self righteous? anger. Yeah. Well, just being the king, and the way that God has protected him this far, and I've never been the king of anything. so to get to be able to have that much privilege, to know I, I can do whatever I want. You know, there's a um, a meme floating around about the you know that royal wedding it happened over in england and they showed a picture of the, the the bride and the groom and and they showed the bride and she's smiling they said she's smiling because she knows she'll never do laundry again you know just that that knowing like i am set for life <laughs> this 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 is this is going to be amazing you know i that must have been a little bit what david felt like he's the most powerful man in the world he knows that god has been blessing him god has used him supernaturally. And yeah, sometimes we get a big head, and we and we forget that it's God doing it, like the song, "Not in Me, It's in You." But we forget about that a lot, and we say it's all about me, and not about you. That's so that's how we feel about it sometimes. And then this happens, and God pokes that hole in that bubble real fast, and uh, we we come crashing down to reality. Yeah, it's gonna be a bumpy road now. There's, I mean, there's there's gonna be a lot of stuff, even the. That some of the things we I can think of as I'm reading through these these uh these punishments, I can think about he's gonna have a son, Absalom, who's going to just totally wreck his I mean, wreck his retirement years, we call him. Solomon is gonna have to fight for the throne. Solomon is gonna have to kill. You know, there's there's just gonna be so much family feuding going on simply because one man wasn't satisfied with what God gave him. Uh look at uh, how did how did uh, David respond to Nathan and God's judgment? Let's take this two ways. How could have David responded? How might David have responded if he was one of us? And how did David actually respond to the, to the condemnation, or to the judgment? Could have made excuses. How did he respond? Do you think that David knew that God was aware of his sin? But do you think that David really thought that... I mean, Because this is the same guy that says... If I make my bed in hell, you're there. Where Anywhere I go, you're there. Is this the same guy that, do you think that David really believed that God didn't know? Probably. Have we ever done anything that we thought we got away with? We know that God knows and sees, but because punishment doesn't come swiftly, we think it won't come at all. Huh, right. I got away with it. You ever get away with anything in in school? Todd? Did you ever get away with anything? You know? What happens when you get away with it? You get bolder, right? You're like, if I work this time, what else can I do? You get you get you get more you get more confident in what you're doing, you get more dangerous, and we feel like I can I'm invincible. Look at what I did and I didn't get caught. One of the things my mom told me, she prayed for me growing up, and I pray for my kids, is that we get caught right away in our sin. You don't get away with anything. Why? Because if I get caught, I remember, you know, I was in high school when uh, when President Clinton was being impeached and for all the, the different things that was going on in his life, and I remember being told at that time, you know, one of the reasons that he got to where he is is because as a young person, he got away with a lot of little stuff. And then all of a sudden, the big stuff starts coming. And if you never want to get in trouble for the big stuff, keep getting busted down here for the little stuff. You know, if I keep getting, you know, punished in one one way or the other by my parents or by my school or by my authority for doing these non-crimes but wrong things, telling little lies and sassing my mom, there's a really good chance I'm not going to get arrested for things like grand larceny, selling drugs. it doesn't mean that it's impossible. But if I keep getting busted down here for the, the little things, I never really get build any momentum to get up to the big stuff. The, the way David could have responded, and here again is what I mentioned about Saul and David. David could have responded in many different ways. David could have responded to Nathan by simply saying, who are you to judge me? I'm the king. You're just a prophet. Think about all the other prophets and kings that were, were, were nervous to go before a king. Remember Elijah and Jezebel? He's nervous to say those things. And I, and I wonder how long it took... Uh, I mean, we could have had another Jonah story here. Hey, Nathan, go tell the king I know what he did, and he's in big trouble. I mean, we could have had another Jonah story Go, no, he'll kill me if I tell him that. I'm going to Tarshish. I'm going somewhere else, because it, it, that, he's not going to want to hear that. He, he, I'm just the prophet. I'm just the, the preacher. He's the. It would be me going to the president and and accusing him of the crimes that he has done, that he has thought he has kept, he has kept under the under the rug, and expecting to be able to walk out of there, and not be thrown into some dark hole, and nobody, you know, we're going to keep this quiet. I'm going to stop it with you, and nobody else is going to find out. But David doesn't do those things. What does David say there right away? Uh, verse number, verse number thirteen. David said to Nathan, "I have sinned." I've sinned against the Lord. That's all he says. But that's all that's necessary. Yeah, well, like you said, he's relieved. Yeah. It's a lot easier to just perpetuate it than to stop it on your own. But now he's being forced to address it. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, imagine uh, the rest of the, even like Joab, kind of hold that over his head. And and Joab does become a little pain in his side later on because of that. This is nothing like David's sin, but I remember when I was a young kid, I knew my parents put my Christmas presents under their bed, and I wasn't supposed to look. But I did anyways, because I wanted to know what I was getting for Christmas. Nobody knew that I did it, but for like three days, I felt miserable, because I peeked. And I went downstairs, and I finally confessed to my mom and dad what I did. I felt like, you know, and then I was, then I was worried. I'm like, am I still going to get it? Because, you know, <laughs> I want to make sure I still get it, because I really like my socks. You know it took away this and you know was that a sin that I ruined this my Christmas surprise? Well, yeah, because I was told not to do it, and I did it, but it's that that relief of confession, relief of it's out in the open, I don't have to hide this anymore I don't have to hold this lie together and with duct tape and and uh, paper clips uh, and and try to remember all the story and and make sure that who knows what and it's all out in the open, and now at least i can I can be. I can be punished and get this over with. Last one here. How did God respond to David then? And this is this is the great part of the story. How did God respond to David? At the end of verse number. Uh, verse number thirteen. End of verse thirteen. How did God respond there? Same as He does to us. Yeah. He get, He forgave him. Yeah. I've sinned. All right. Verse thirteen. The Lord hath put away thy sin. You sinned, You've confessed it. Now I can do something with it. But as long as it's unconfessed, it's going to be right there. But once you confess it, put it away, and thou shalt not die. How be it? Because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. And, 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 and he doesn't take away the consequences here. All of these other things that God said are going to happen are going to happen. And what God said was going to happen before confession happened. So, what was the thing that David got because he confessed his sin? He got forgiveness. He got a restoration. He got a a renewed fellowship with God. David goes on and he continues to do good things. He can continue to be used by God, but there were still consequences. And now David is going to walk through the rest of life with a lot of baggage. And his kids are going to feel it. And other, you know, other countries are going to feel it. Uh, there, there's going to be uh, a lot of bloodshed because of stemming from this sin. But it just goes to show us there that we, you know, we, we have to own up to our mistakes. But when we confess them, we get that out before God, He is faithful and just to forgive us. So can you see self-condemnation Self-deception and self-righteousness here. It's pretty obvious, right? I mean, You don't have to look very hard to see this is how it is. And if we look in our own lives sometimes, and this is why we're not talking about us but David, because his story is recorded, and I don't want my business being out there uh, for you to, to pick apart like this. But if we look back in our own lives and sin that we have allowed to go on without confession, it, it blinds us. We begin to think that, well, you know what, it's really not that bad. Um, go back 50, 100 years ago. What they thought was bad was wrong to do, that is so commonplace today. It's really not that bad. But then your social experiment, stop watching TV for 30 days and turn it back on. And be like, whoa, I can't believe that they allow this on TV. Well, it's always been there. We've just become desensitized to it. We've become a little blinded to it. We don't see it anymore. Well, they only said one, they only showed that much. Was it I Love Lucy? Was that the one, like the big risque one where they actually showed them sleeping in the same room together? You know, and now, that's, that's not even, they don't even do that anymore. I mean, they, 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 they've way, way past that. But we as, as, even as Christians, we'll say, well, and we and we, we we justify the things that we do in not in light of god's truth but in light of well if i if i say that that's wrong i'm going to have to address all these things over here so i'll just I'll kind of let it go you know what instead it's, let's not talk about me let's talk about you look at what you got look at that little smudge on your face you know and and we and we focus on other people and and, and next week you know Lord willing We're going to just spend time in Matthew 7 and verse 6, just the one verse talking about how we are supposed to judge. And it's another group of people here, dogs and hogs, uh, how we're supposed to actually practice judgment. But there is a danger there. And even what we talked about this morning, about that I'm supposed to clean my, my own eye up, and then if I see you with something in your eye, I'm supposed to come up. There's a lot of fear and trepidation there, knowing that if I don't handle this right, however I judge you, I'm going to be judged. So you know what? When I judge, I judge with, I'm not saying that I do, I want to. When I judge, I want to judge with grace and a whole bunch of mercy. Because when it's my turn to be judged, I want to be judged with grace and a whole bunch of mercy. And it's the measure that I give is the measure I'm going to receive. So in so next time we're, we're tempted to do that, even if it's just judging in our heart, if it never comes out, you know what? <laughs> do I want someone thinking about me? It's really getting down to the golden rule in verse number 12. Do unto others what you would have them do to you. How do you want to be judged? Do it that way.